my mans. Oh, shit. We got a late night podcast on our hands with your boys. The sun is approaching the horizon. It is getting into fucking cobwebs hours, but I'm stoked. Gonna make this shit work. Me too, man. I'm really excited for this one. Who are we talking to, bro? Give, give us the intro. And after he after he stops dying. <laughs> oh, fuck oh. me, man. I'm, in, I'm, I'm up in D.C. right now. The pollen situation up here is not okay. So be prepared for me to be doing this throughout the entire thing. Today, though, today, oh, yeah. tonight, it's tonight Hell. where we are. It's today where he is because this is a true California motherfucker that we're talking to tonight. West Coast. From the band Exhumed. From the band from the band Pounder, yeah. from the band Expulsion, the Ooh. man does not sleep. His name is Matt Harvey, and he must be destroyed. But Matt before Harvey. he is, we're going to talk to that motherfucker. We're going to get inside his brain. We're going to see how he works. We're going to see what's going on. That's so cool, man. I'm so excited. He's he's a huge inspiration. Dude, dude, Same here. I'm going to... I'm actually, I'm going to start doing this after our last podcast with Carl. I'm going to start doing this to everybody that I bring on. So like sure. that we bring yes. on. So like that to establish ethos and credibility, be like, here's my stack of shit that you made. And they'll be like, wow, you're a fucking dork. And I'm going to be like, yeah, yeah, we do our homework here. You know, someone asked me the other day, they're like, oh, this, the lifts and wrists podcast you do is really cool. How much do you and that guy talk about before you do this? And we I go, we don't discuss a fucking thing. <laughs> we just get on. We roll, we roll into this shit cold and raw. And yeah. it, just, it happens <laughs> however it happens. But I think, I think that we make it work. I think we do an okay job of that. Can you imagine what would happen if we had like a producer and put like, Oh. actual effort into this there'd be no stopping us man we'd be unconquerable or would it just fuck up the vibe i think it probably would fuck up the vibe i think yeah. i think it would maybe become work i don't know i don't know man because i love you and because i love the fucking i love the people that we talk to and this is i can't imagine this not being fun so right. who knows we'll see what i mean it's, it's definitely going up man we're definitely building the empire so that's no question at the very I, least, we'll get some good mics up in here soon. Most definitely. I, I like. I can at least say at this point, you know, we've been doing this thing for about a year now. Like, I, I never had any expectations whatsoever, other than me and you just sort of shooting the shit every yeah, week. Right. But like, we've talked to we've talked to some of my favorite musicians of all time, man. Same, so man. like, <laughs> yeah, that's sick. that's that's fucking rad. Definitely. Glad to know you, bro. Brotherhood. Same. Same. And if I'm not mistaken, I could be mistaken, but wasn't the first review you did for Death Comes Lifting of Exhumes Horror record? I do believe that you were correct. That I is pretty cool. Pretty cool 360 we just did right there. I would say I would say I would agree with that. Yeah, I went from writing about this shit to talking to the motherfucker. And hopefully we have some shit to say that's going to keep him interested. We'll see what happens. I feel like we have no problem talking about gore metal on this podcast. I, yeah, I agree. I, I kind of want to, I, I like how he, I'm not going to get too far into it now because I want to hit him with this shit later, but like, I, I do like that he is, uh, he's built a career out of singing about guts and shit, yeah. but he is doing a lot more with that. 
um, I think, than just celebrating horror content. And I definitely want to get in his head and talk about that once we once we get him on here. Yeah, we'd like to hear about the writing, all that. You know, we're getting to the nerdy stuff, getting to the nitty gritty, getting to his work ethic. Dudes of dudes fucking in twenty bands, as we mentioned. We Never got you do. We got some fan questions for Matt Harvey tonight. Yes, we do. Of course, from. From one of our good friends, Mr. Sean Benson from Desert Wasteland Productions, when he found out, really? he was like, "That's my, what did he say?" I'm gonna hold on. Let me find this because if Matt Harvey goes back and listens to this uh, podcast and hears that someone said this about him, I think that he will be very happy to have to have. Yeah, definitely. And while, while you're looking for that, let me just say to Sean that we need you back on this podcast, bro. I love you. you. Go, Sean, we need you back on the podcast. We need Derek back on the podcast. If I'm not mistaken, your favorite slam band just put out a new record. <laughs> we can we can talk about that. And yeah. uh, questionable terminology aside, we can uh, try and tiptoe around some of that shit. This is what he's this is what Sean said. Um, he said, y'all interview Matt Harvey of the band Exhumed, which is one of the few death metal bands around 20 plus years with a flawless discography. Whoa. Mark, question mark, question mark. He's stoked. A flawless discography. Like oh. that. And I'm inclined to agree. I'm inclined to agree, too. I listened to the whole discography over the last two days, and it is pretty flawless, I have to say. It's it is, man. I think that they have, you know, if you go back and you listen to like all the the demo and split stuff that was compiled and put out later on as platters of splatter, you can see such a really interesting evolution um, and like admirable evolution, right? From yeah. Just a gang of kids fucking around making noise because you know that the earliest shit was very much that it was just like dudes in a jam room fucking off, and and some of it, some of it's good, some of it's like total trash. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you have like this wealth of material that they put out before they even released a full length record. And then by the time they got signed to relapse and put out gore metal, like they had already been through a whole lot of changes, you know, regarding their, their style of writing and sort of the, the kind of death metal that they set out to make and being able to chart chart that is pretty cool. But then at the same time, if you look at gore metal, and the way that they were writing back then, and you go all the way up through a record like Necrocracy or Death Revenge, like it's just the 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 evolution is major. Like you can you can see it, you can hear it, you can feel it, and uh, I'm definitely curious about sort of how natural that process has been. And I feel like Matt's the type of dude. Matt's the type of dude who we. If you look at interviews with him, you can see he's the type of dude that we like to get on this podcast or type of person that we like to get on this podcast um, because he is very much in touch with the part of him that creates music. I think that it's uh, something that he puts a lot of thought into, and I think that he can talk about his process like some of our our favorite guests like uh, David from Summoning the Lich or Carl from, from Bolt Thrower and Memoriam talk about just how how you know in touch they are with the part of them that makes this shit. That's always fun for me to hear somebody else talk about. Oh hell yeah, man! And especially like you said, the evolution of those records is, is huge. Those those first two or th- really the first three, it's like they're kind of hard to listen to, like in a good way. Yep. Like it, it's like it's horror movie. It makes you feel like a horror movie should. Like it's like it, it gets a yep. little much for sure. And or, like, yeah. Gore, gore metal when you go back and listen to it now like i 
I I remember seeing the cover of Gore Metal. I ordered Gore Metal from like Century Media Mail Order or something. This was nice. back. It it was their most recent record at the time. This was before Slaughter Cult came out. I was still in high school. One of the earlier death metal bands that I got into, and I remember getting the CD at it at on cue, which was the record store that we had in my town, and uh, the guy on the 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 guy behind the counter was talking shit about the cover art because it was so it's like this cheesy over the top fucking gory like kitchen that's uh, filled with fake guts and shit like that, and that set the tone for me immediately. Like it's it definitely has that same camp and schlock that you get from a horror movie. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, really a off the rails budget, performance too. A low budget horror movie, a low budget splatter fest. Yeah. And uh, the really, I think the third one, the, the uh, what is it? Anatomy. I'm going to Anatomy's destiny. Anatomy's destiny. I think that's, I think that's my favorite one. I, I think that that is a record that did not get its due when it came out. I remember, yeah. oh, I remember a lot of, a lot of the feedback around then was that they were trying too hard to refine their sound, but they wanted to be at, I remember somebody saying they wanted to be at the gates or something like that. And like, when you, when you go back and you listen to that record, you can definitely see that they were pushing the melodicism a little bit more, but it's like still fucking unabashedly a death record, like a death metal record. There's not, it's, it's not a soft record. And I think that the changes that they did make, in their writing style, the approaches that they that, that they took that was a little bit different from what they did on Slaughter Cult, the second record. Um, I, I, I can't imagine anybody who likes fucking death metal hearing that and being like, eh, I don't know. Like, this doesn't feel like a genuine shift or something like that. Like, there's still, there's as much of the earlier Exhumed that you loved from Slaughter Cult on that record. There's just some extra stuff on there too. That's why I liked it so much. It was like a slightly more listenable version of their first two yeah. records, you know. Mm -hmm. And then they not not that they went away from the path totally, but they do get a little like Black Dahlia murder y if that's a good way to describe it on their you know subsequent three. Until sure, yeah, until you could say yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just think that there's I it, the thing is like I don't think that people hated that record I, like well i'll say i don't know anybody who hated it but i do know people who thought that they were maybe going in a direction that wasn't like true exhumed and that to me um just wasn't the case like i i really enjoyed the record it's a dark record too man like they sure. it's still it's still got that gleeful sort of uh tongue-in-cheek comedy aspect to the horror elements of it but you can tell that they're also looking at some deeper shit. And I think that's sort of the beginning of, of some of the other, uh, the, the double nature of the, the lyrical content that Matt pursued later on in, in newer records like Necrocracy or Death Revenge or the, even horror to an extent. Yeah, that's why I liked horror so much too, is it kind of felt like a, a, a return to form, but like in a way that wasn't like cheesy or anything like that. Like they took what they knew and made it just better. Yeah, I mean, it was just a, it was like a fast, sloppy, grindy death metal record. It was very much in the vein of those first two records, but yeah, at the so same cool. time, you know, they had refined, they, they still had that refined writing style that went into it. And uh, I don't, it just, 
I, I think I say this on this podcast a lot, but when I say it, like I, I mean it and it's, it's something that I don't get from everything that I listen to, but I got it from horror the first time I listened to it. And I think I actually wrote about it in the review for death comes lifting, but you can tell that these dudes are having fun when they're yeah. playing this shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it sounds, it sounds youthful and invigorated. It sounds like not putting too much thought into it. They're just doing what comes natural to them. And it's really refreshing you know, when you see a band like them who has built this really long legacy and gone through a whole bunch of different phases and tried a bunch of different stuff that's, that I feel has all worked out, it's still really cool to watch them sort of go back to the basics, to that barebone formula that they were really sort of working with to begin with, um, and then give us a like a, a 2019 take on 1995 Exhumed, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a solid way to put that. And everything around that album, their like merch and how they promoted that. I was like so old school, like, you know, late eighties, early nineties, like fucking VH yeah. it's so cool. I had to buy the uh the V eight the, the VCR box set. Yeah with the vinyl. Um that's cool, so man. Cool. that's so and cool. They, I did. Matt what? just emailed, Matt just emailed me, he's gonna be five minutes late. So we, we might have to just say fuck it then you know we might have to just tell him to go fuck himself yeah yeah matt harvey nobody keeps us waiting <laughs> yeah what are you doing we had <laughs> so it's, it's all good we could just talk about cannibal corpse we, i was gonna say we'll talk about cannibal corpse for the next five minutes or we can talk about cradle of filth for the next five minutes i mean we can keep talking about it i, I could talk about exhumed all day just because this is one of those bands and we've you know the last several bigger name people that we've talked to well, fuck, I guess all the bigger name people that we've talked to, but specifically Exhumed and Nile and Cannibal Corpse um, are all bands that I started listening to, you know, when I was in high school. Like I, I was introduced to this music and subsequently, you know, not too long after being introduced to the, the first two death metal bands I ever heard, Six Feet Under and Deicide, um, started kind of branching off on my own and, and finding shit that wasn't being given to me um by friends or by older brothers or you know whatever i was finding shit on mirc you know uh, looking through starting to recognize record labels and stuff like that and looking through the racks at, at the the music store that we had in my town and exhumed was one of those bands that i found um on my own and have been listening to steadily uh, since that time um so it means something to you yeah, well, it means something to me, and it's like it's. Um, I feel like we've kind of, and I felt it. I feel this with Trevor Sternad too from the Black Dahlia Murder. Even though Matt is older than I am, I still feel in a way like we've kind of grown up together. Um, yeah. Just because there's there's a kind of there's a kind of growth and a kind of what I consider to be like a sort of a, a kind of ethical rhetorical responsibility that Matt takes on later on in his in his lyricism that I feel sort of reflect the the journey that people take going from childhood. Like, you know, when you're a fucking 17-year-old watching gory shit um, and only thinking to yourself, like, yes, chop off the head. Like, this is cool yeah. for me and I enjoy this. Okay. And then as you get older, you still watch the gory shit, right? Um, but you find ways to appreciate other aspects of that uh gory shit like the storytelling like the way that it's filmed like interesting um effects and things like that and i feel like that sort of maturity uh is something that's sort of been built into the way that exhumed has refined their sound over the years well maybe we should we, we should ask him what he has to 
what he has to say about it. Maybe we, Maybe we should ask Matt Harvey, who is connecting to audio right now. Hi. Can you guys hey, hear me? Ed? Yeah. There he is. We can hear you. Hey, man. How are you doing? I'm good. How are y'all? Doing good. I'm uh, I'm Schuler. I'm the guy who, who uh, reached out and got in touch with you about coming on here, and I'm joined today by Mr. Zach Belante from Death Comes Lifting. Awesome. Thanks for being here, man. It means a lot. We know you're a you're a busy man. You got a lot going on. So tell us, brother, what what is going on, Matt Harvey? Um, well, I just got off work, um, and uh, now I'm working on uh, the vocals for the new Zoom record. You can see the microphone right there behind me here in the studio, and I'm also working on uh, stuff for a solo record. And, uh, you know, just general life stuff, you know, um, <laughs> regular shit. You sleep. does not stop. You, you are a busy motherfucker, man. One of the things that we were talking about while we were waiting for you to come on was just sort of like how prolific um, you have been in your output and how long it's been going on. Um, was Exhumed your very first band or did you have anything else that you were doing before that? Cause you were, what were you like 15 when you started Exhumed? Yeah. I mean, Exhumed was my first like band that like played a, a gig or anything, you know, before that yeah. it was just like me and some friends in the garage kind of thing. Um, I played with a couple guys, you know, I was in the eighth grade. Um, and we did like, I think we played like Creeping Death, South of Heaven. Uh, I think the small hours, the Holocaust cover that Metallica did. And I think I wrote, you know, a song and a half or something maybe <laughs> at that <laughs> time um but we didn't even get to the point of like settling on a name um and then after that um it was just kind of jamming with some friends like freshman sophomore year of high school and that was the thing that sort of became zoom um we did our first show when i was a junior i think so fucking wild man like that's your entire life <laughs> I mean, it's it might be weird, but I think it's really I think it's really cool. And I I, I don't know how old you are. I, I we're we're relatively close in age. But I one of the things I was talking to Zach about before we got you on is sort of how I feel like I've grown up with Exhumes music in a way, um, just because it starts you know it starts off with that sort of really. Um, wild-eyed youthful enjoyment of uh of gore and and shit like that and then i feel like later on and this is one of the things that i'm most interested to talk to you about um i feel like later on exhumed became the type of project the type of death metal band where there's really two different things going on with the lyrical approach right there is there is the the horror and the gore and the tongue-in-cheek aspect of it right but then there's also this more socially aware, socio-political element that I find particularly interesting death metal um, because I don't think nearly as many bands want to embrace it as <laughs> it want to embrace it, even though a lot of them already are, right? Um, and you see this with bands like Carcass, um, you definitely see this with bands like Exhumed, you see this with bands like Bolt Thrower, you know, classic death metal I think has these different layers to it. Um, and that's something that you ended up addressing directly in the uh, in the, the essay that you pinned for the liner notes in Necrocracy. Right. Um, and so one of the things that I'm curious about is sort of your evolution as a writer, like how, to, you know, 
we know how it starts, right? We know how people <laughs> we know how people get into death metal, and we sort of yeah. know what those thrills are. Um, but you have taken that, and you've managed to to stay with that formula, right? While also expanding it into all these other different areas that are particularly socially relevant. Like, tell us about that journey. Um, well, I guess to address what you were talking about earlier, I'm, I'm 45. Uh, and, you know, it, as Exhumed was a band for a long time before we did our first record, you know, um, I went from like 15 to 23, basically. And, um, you know, I've always liked the over-the-top imagery and the gore and splatter. And I still love Reanimator and all that shit. Um, but I guess as time went on, I kind of thought about, like, why? You know, like, what is it that appeals to me about this? And, you know, at first it became sort of, uh, like, philosophical, which we kind of talked about a little bit uh, with on the Anatomy is Destiny record. Um, That's a Nietzsche song. quote, if I'm not mistaken, right? What's that? Is that a Nietzsche quote? Freud. Anatomy? Huh? Freud. Oh. Fuck. Okay. Gotcha. Continue, please. One of those old German. One of those old yeah. German. I've done my homework, Matt Harvey. <laughs> I got <laughs> I got all this shit. I, I'm I'm on it. But please, man, please continue. <laughs> so we did a song um, called In the Name of Gore on that album. And it was sort of like a compromise between the kind of boneheaded, like heavy metal anthems, like we live to rock, kind of because I love that too. But it was yeah. also sort of like we look at society and we think society is disgusting. So we're sort of putting something back that that society is going to find disgusting. And just like we think that, you know, so many things that we see socially or politically or, you know, from the religious spectrum we find that gross, we're gonna produce something that you find equally as disgusting because that's sort of what's available to us as artists or whatever. Um, and so that was kind of the, the beginning of that. Um, and then, you know, with Necrocracy, it was kind of, I ended up doing all the lyrics during the, uh, I guess it was a 2014, was it the 2014 or whichever one? 2012. 2012, thank you. Mitt Romney and, and uh, Obama. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was also kind of the fallout of the Great Recession. Um, and I was sort of seeing things like my grandparents uh, on both sides who had lived as sort of like middle class or my mom's supposed to maybe more like other middle class and sort of seeing their life savings and work getting eroded from them because of healthcare costs and the yeah. housing crisis and so on and so forth. And so that's kind of where Coins Upon the Eyes came from. And it just became a case of like, you know, cool, we can sing about dissecting guts and I'm always gonna think dissecting guts is cool. You know, but in order to make it not quite so repetitious, you know, why don't we use this as a metaphor? And like we talked about in that, in the name of Gore tune, we'll use this as a metaphor for what we're seeing around us. And, um, and, you know, I also worked um, towards the end of or the first era of exam before we split up in 2004 or five or whatever it was. I worked at Alternative Tentacles Records for a while, um, working for Jello Biafra. And so, you know, I was exposed a little bit more in depth, to, you know, you know, Chomsky and Howard Zinn and Angela Davis and, and so on and so forth. 
Um, I've never like been a zealot or whatever. Um, it's not like my whole shtick, but it, it definitely sort of reinforced, you know, the kind of like Bay Area, like punk adjacent, liberal adjacent kind of ideologies that I just kind of had by default. And um, anyway, so that was kind of uh, what helped feel a little bit more confident to move in that direction as far as as far as addressing it you know and that's it's actually really cool to know that like joe biafra fucking turned you on to some of the shit that got you thinking about this stuff because that's you know he did that with a lot of people in a right. number of different ways but to like to get actual reading suggestions and things like that from him is, is pretty fucking cool um and so when you when you did that with exhumed right with with your lyrics um and and you know you'd been you, you did you did it some on anatomy is destiny but you were specifically you know on the nose about it with necrocracy you joined a very illustrious history of people who have wed horror um with socio-political themes you know you go back to george romero like night of the living dead that's that's all that's going on like that's all that you see after you after you find out sort of what that movie is really about that's all that you that's all that you take from it right right um what do you think it is about just like fucking gross and macabre uh that that makes the kind of art that reflects these these situations in a way that's like so adequately paired i think that um you know in in metal one of the big things that is appealing about it um especially to like for, for me as a kid and a lot of kids um is it's the only it's one of the few kind of art forms that talks about all the things that you're not supposed to talk about you know and um and horror can serve that same um that same it scratches that same itch you know it's like all the things that we're supposed to avoid or you know they don't want to teach you about in school or at church or wherever it is that that you are raised um this is an arena where basically anything goes and um, and I think so much of you know politics. I don't know a lot about politics in other countries. I don't. I don't even know that I know that much about it here. But 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 so much so much of it is about kind of reaching into tapping into human emotion and finding a way to connect with it. And so much of what we see in that arena is pretty fucking dark. You know. I mean, like. If you watch Tucker Carlson, you know it's pretty it's pretty dark stuff. Like it's it's really fearful and macabre and apocalyptic, and you know it has this veneer of civility um, that we don't have to we can dispense with in metal and in horror. And be, I think because you're used to tapping into this sort of darkness or whatever you want to call it, these emotions that we're not supposed to have. But everybody has, whether it's hate, hatred or anger or sadness or whatever, um, we're used to tapping into that. So I think when we see people doing it in a way to some agenda, we maybe we're more apt to recognize that. You know, like my mom is a super, she's a very lovely person, really sweet lady, but you know, like she was like really sad when Rush Limbaugh died. And it's like, and she's like, how can you sing about all this horrible stuff? And I'm like, how can you listen to all this? horrible stuff like you know what i mean like um so uh, i don't know i mean it's there's there's a lot of tapping into these 
primal kinds of things that, you know, in different ways. And, I, and I'm sure I'm not being particularly eloquent about it, but hopefully. No, I'm- no. I, I think that you, I mean, I think that you are. And I, I think that like hearing it from you is one of the things that kind of confirms one of the suspicions that I had anyway, um, saying that you're tapping into the more emotional side of, of how we react to these things and how we process them. I feel like is really healthy. And one of the things that I think is, is healthy about heavy metal and death metal, especially when it comes to lyrics is that when you can, when you explore these things, right. In, in an area in which the taboo is sort of like the main course, all the time right <laughs> um you you do that in a way that opens up talking about it without necessarily coming off too judgmental right um and i think that while you know there there are some ideas that are that are more productive and and contribute to a more healthy society and while there are some ideas that are not i feel like getting people especially young people who listen to this kind of music to think about them and talk about them in an in an area outside of school or outside of the fucking principal's office or whatever where they might feel like they're being put on the spot yeah Yeah, i feel like i feel like that that's the kind of place where you can really help mold somebody's opinion and maybe maybe give them a perspective that they hadn't considered that can come from a more trusted source right absolutely i mean you know i think about you know I guess how and, and for me as a kid, um, I was raised Catholic, not terribly observant, but you know, whatever we said grace before dinner, and, yeah. you know, my parents tried to get me to go to church and I was just didn't really like church. It wasn't that I was like, this is all bullshit. I was like, it's Sunday morning. I can, I should be out fucking putting firecrackers in GI Joe's. <laughs> like, <not saying, laughs> um, but anyway, and I don't really think too much about it until I heard um, until I heard Rain and Blood in 1987. I was like probably 11, maybe 12. Um, and I just remember hearing it. And I was like, wow, if I listen to this, like I'm going to go to hell. Like, holy shit. And <laughs> that was something I never really considered before. But the adrenaline of the music and the anger of it, it really connected with me. And I thought, is this really so bad? I don't know. And kind of going from getting confronted with something so extreme to an 11 year old in 1987 uh, just made me sort of reevaluate religion as a whole. I just never, I didn't think about it. You know, I was yeah. thinking about Spider-Man. Like, I, care. Um, I just was like, cool, Jesus is great. I, I don't know. I heard about him the whole time. It's fine. Um, <laughs> and I was like, all of a sudden I like this record and it says Jesus sucks. Like, fuck. And that kind of prompted me, you know, to start examining, like, what is religion? Like, what are these beliefs? Like, what are they really talking about? And I was like, oh, I'm a fucking atheist. Like, I don't care. I can say God sucks all day because there's no God. Nobody's going to strike me down. I'm not going to hell. There's no hell. That's dumb. And, um, you know, so to me, it was like a, a philosophical thing because I was like, how do I square this with being a good person that I was raised to think of myself as. And then as soon as I realized it was all smoke and mirrors and bullshit, I was like, cool. So I can like watch all the horror movies I want, listen to Venom other times. Like as long as I'm not out like hurting people, this is great, you know? And like I definitely I definitely want to come back to the more adult shit here in a little bit. But since you bring up horror, um let's talk a little bit about the way that you got into that specifically so we know a little bit about how you got into heavy music tell us tell us about your entry into horror and sort of your evolution with that alongside your your musicianship um 
I was into horror movies before I was into metal. Um, you know, I remember Nightmare on Elm Street being a, a real big one for me when I was a kid. Although it's not a movie that I've really carried with me. I mean, I, I like it or whatever, but I don't like rewatch it. Like, you know, every once in a while I'll rewatch like Evil Dead 2 or Reanimator or Exorcist, Texas Chainsaw or something. Um, but I never really come back to that one. Um, I think, you know, one of the things, you know, the, the shock value really appealed to me. And I think it's something that I've talked about more and more through the years. Um, when I grew up, uh, my dad was in a really bad car accident when I was a kid and he had pretty severe brain damage. He was in a coma and for like really took him about 15 years, like 12 years to kind of like reconstruct his personality. And he had a lot of like violent mood swings and stuff. So he was just like, I got yelled at a lot for no reason. Everybody near my dad got yelled at, got berated, got, you know, my mom got yelled at, his parents got yelled at, the, the postman got yelled at, the people at his work, whatever. And so in a way, I think when, especially for a, a, a boy, when the sort of father figure becomes kind of monstrous, one way to cope with that is to find scarier monsters and empathize with them, you know what I mean? And because I always remember in the horror movies, I was never like wanted anyone to survive. I wanted everybody to play <laughs> in the most violent way possible. You know? um, so I think, and I think it's pretty, it's a pretty common coping mechanism for a kid when the world seems monstrous for whatever reason um, to gravitate towards that and to understand that as a kind of, you know, confronting that through a way that's safe, like a movie or whatever. Um, so I was very big into it. Um, I was, a, you know, horror and Marvel comics and tabletop role-playing games and D&D, &D, you know, all the things that they used to tell you in the 80s would turn you into a Satanist or whatever. It's like, check, check, check. <laughs> um, and then when I got into metal, uh, I was like, it was like the audio equivalent of people that too or layer the white worm or even toxic avenger or whatever and um it was kind of it was another kind of art form to just be free to be as over the top and crazy as your imagination you know allowed so it was perfect you know yeah and you know you can you can see that um one of the things we were talking about before you before you came on um, is sort of the especially with those first two exhumed records and especially all of the the stuff that was that came before that that eventually ended up getting compiled and put on platters of splatter um, very much sort of in the campy over the top vein of a lot of the 80s horror that that you grew up enjoying right um, and then when we get that sort of no you're good um, when we get that sort of turn with anatomy is destiny towards a little bit of a different approach lyrically in some places and then a, a sort of different musical approach as well. Um, that sort of changed the, the band into something different. Do you agree? I mean, I think it's, I don't know if it's something different, but it's definitely kind of like a different phase. It's still... You know, we always had kind of the same influences, but I think um, we were very hesitant to take ourselves ourselves seriously. Um, and one of the things that I liked about death metal and grindcore, um, 
especially grind, was that it kind of lampooned the the bombastic side of metal. You know, yeah. I mean, even in like the early '90s, you know, we were looking at the pictures on the back of Alters and Men, and it's like, look at these losers with their leather pants, <laughs> fluffy hair. Like it's 1990. Like we don't need fluffy hair anymore. You can just like you don't need leather harnesses and all this bullshit and upside down crosses. It's corny. Um, and so when we sort of came back to embracing those cliches, we did it in a way that was very tongue in cheek. And it wasn't that we didn't take what we were doing seriously, but we, it was more of like, we recognized that it was dumb and then we did it anyway. And we were totally fine with people knowing that we knew it was dumb, but we're just, this is what we like. We like dumb shit. And after the first couple records, um, you know, a few different things happened in terms of getting better at guitar and, you know, kind of, you know, getting some success or notoriety, but then having a large portion of the press sort of still slagging your band off as noise or stupid or whatever. And, you know, I would read these reviews and I was like, it's okay if you don't like the record, but like, you can't think we're stupid because I've read this review and your grammar is atrocious. Like, <laughs> you to, like your high school English teachers should like want to murder you. Like, we're not dumb. We just do dumb stuff. And so it was kind of like a, a point of being like, okay, we wanted to make a record that people couldn't slag off as, you know, Cro-Magnon noise, but it was still us. Um, so, you know, it kind of, it goes and it, it comes and goes, it waxes and wanes. Some records are smarter than others. Uh, the last oh. record it was particularly boneheaded, so, you know. Dude, the last record was so much fun. Like, right. I, we, we, I absolutely loved horror. Um, I had so much fun listening to it. I loved, uh, like, the fucking, the product presentation and everything that went with it. It was just, like, it was the whole package for like a nerdy ass collector and somebody who's really into to death metal as well. Right. I mean, that's exactly what we were going for. So thank you. That's, that's yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, and, but that, that was such a sharp turn, you know, and, and it was a pleasant turn, but at the same time, it was very, very different uh, from death revenge, which is, it's, it's one of my, it's my, I, it, I think it might be my favorite exhumed record. It's, it's, I think one of the most interesting and sort of daring death metal records that's been created. Um, I think it's as close as we're going to get to like a death metal version of Rocky Horror Picture Show. And <laughs> I, I really, really, really want to hear about sort of what went into the creation of that, because, you know, we, we can, we can go back and talk a little bit about like the timeline a little bit more, but you know, things got a little bit more serious um, with Anatomy is Destiny. Then you guys took a break came back with a couple of really fucking killer records, straight ahead death metal records, very purposed, um, very, you know, they, they, they sounded great. You guys sounded like you were on the top of your game. Um, and then you decide to do a concept record. Um, and as I'm going through, like the very first thing that I thought of was like, well, that's pretty tight, man. I think if anybody can pull it off, it's going to be exhumed. And then I start reading through the liner notes and I'm like, they got different people playing different characters. Like they have very clearly fucking researched the actual history surrounding this Burke and Hare. Like, what the fuck? So I would I would love to hear about sort of how all of that came together. Um, because I I treasure that record and uh, and I think it's so much fun. It, that record is really interesting because there's like a certain segment of our fan base that loves that record, like 
loves it. And then there's another segment that was like, huh? And then most, then <laughs> the majority is like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, you know, I liked it. Like, great. Um, really, I think I, we were doing the necrocracy, and at the same time, I was working on the first, like, the early gruesome stuff. And, you know, because that's a death tribute band, and so many of the songs on screen by Gore were about, like, directly just about horror movies. So I started writing songs about horror movies, and I was kind of like, this is really fun. And, you know, exhumed, you know, we kind of exist within, like, a box, and we kind of go from one side to the other, but it's always sort of still within those parameters. And I thought, Maybe necrocracy was a little bit, you know, as far afield as, as I felt comfortable going. And so I thought, like, let's tell, you know, let, let's do a, a, a strictly horror-based album. And somehow I was just, like, clicking around on Wikipedia, like, just kind of, like, thinking, like, what could we write about now, you know? Dissecting Guts Part 23 or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I came across the Bergen Hair Murders, and I was like, huh pretty interesting and it sort of seemed to encapsulate a bunch of things that had to do with these aesthetic there was exhumation which is handy um, yeah, right. <laughs> there, there was grave robbery there was uh you know this pathological aspect of all the anatomy schools in edinburgh at the time and the science of anatomy was really developing and um there was also the fact that burke and Hare, they were not criminal masterminds they were idiots that would just get people drunk and I was like that kind of fits in with how we live on the road because <laughs> we're just idiots like you know playing shows and just pounding beers <laughs> and shit so I thought like it just kind of I was like if ever there was something that we could do a concept album about this is probably it and so I kind of just at first, I, I was thinking I wanted to do something that was kind of like that, mixed with like a Penny Dreadful. Maybe like, I didn't think it was going to be gory enough. And I thought, should we bring in this like Frankenstein type element or whatever? And then we got Ross back in the band. And um, he's very enthusiastic about concept albums. And he's done a lot of them. And I started talking to him about it. And he was like, no, get rid of all that. Just write about the actual murders. Like, just keep it there and we'll be good. And so, like you said, I did a lot of research. Um, I also listened to a lot of musicals um, because really, aside from the first song, it's every song is constructed as a musical with each vocalist, you know, voicing a character or whatever. Fucking wild, man. <laughs> and so it was, uh, you know, I felt like, again, we'd gone sort of as far afield in, in, a, in a different direction. And, you know, so I was coming up with these little themes based on the... Uh, based on the riffs and then working with our old bass player, Matt Widener to develop them into this sort of like cinematic kind of incidental music to just make it feel more like a experience, you know? Yeah. Um, and even like with the, with the, the LP, you know, you fold it out and it has all the friend lyrics or whatever. And that almost takes me back to like when I was a little kid and I would have these like, you know, Batman seven inches or Hulk seven inches. and you would put it on and then you'd be reading and you'd have a picture of like the Hulk and the Rhino and you'd be listening to the dialogue and be like, turn the page when you hear the Hulk go, turn it. <laughs> and so it was kind of designed to be like that kind of experience where you sit down and be like, cool, there's a story. And, you know, trying to find a way to split the difference between that and a record where you could just hear a song and be like, that was a cool death metal song. And then, you know, next song in your Spotify playlist or whatever. 
Um, so it was, it was pretty ambitious. <laughs> I, I, I agree, but like, I, I think you, I think you pulled it off. Uh, like whose, whose idea, whose idea was it to do the, uh, the vocal shifts when you get, uh, like when you were approaching it and to know that Ross was part of the writing process regarding like making the choices to, to make it a concept album and things like that. Um, I'm very interested in sort of how the reality uh, like the, or I'm not not so much that but like the approach that you guys ended up taking right where you made actual you know you built lines of dialogue into the lyrics right. um if you there was there's stuff in the liner notes that's not the record right there's there's another dimension of it that's told sort right. of as you're as you're flipping through the liner notes like when you when you guys latched on to that particular source of inspiration um, did all of the plans for what ended up being the record sort of come along with that? Or did it sort of evolve organically along the way? What was the creation like? Well, I think, you know, aside from the, the first song, which is just sort of like a world building song, like yeah. this is the climate in Edinburgh in the, you know, the 1820s uh, and 30s. Um, you know, the, the, the three primary characters, Dr. Knox and then Burke and Hare, I sort of cast them based on my research, but also kind of fit them to more of our personalities, you know, um, in real life, um, you know, hair turns crowns evidence on Burke and was like, fuck him, let him hang. I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> and Ross sort of enjoys the heel type role. Like that's his thing. Uh, he's got like 25 different Rowdy Roddy Piper figures and shit. And, you know, that's just, and he's just sort of, the uh, the adversary in the band is the easiest way I can put it, but not like in an enemy way, but I'll be like, here's this giant idea. What do you think? And Ross is like, well, that's not going to work because this, that, this, that's stupid. Why don't you like pare it down? I'm like, oh, thank you. I needed that. So Knox is, you know, he is this high-minded, scientific, pretentious dick who's like, what do these people matter? I'm this, you know, fucking, I'm a big picture person. I don't care where the bodies come from. And that's sort of my role in the band is I'm the big picture person. I'm like, here's the song. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what we need to execute it. That's not my department. Like you're the engineer, you're the guy building our effects pedals or whatever. I just have the idea and that's the important thing. And then Bud is very much just sort of like, he's a chill guy and his last name is Burke. So yeah. I was like, well, clearly he has to be Burke. Um, and he's just a very chill guy who's like, oh, whatever, man. I don't know. Like, cool. I'm just here, like, <laughs> playing guitar, smoking cigarettes. Like, that's that's enough for me. And so he kind of ended up playing the role of the Patsy um, <laughs> in the story. And so, it, it, you know, it just kind of the roles sort of decided themselves, you know, in the writing process. Uh that's really interesting, yeah. And to think of sort of the these these characters' uh, personalities mirroring the dynamics within the band makes it all the more entertaining. So you come out of that very ambitious project. Um, I want to talk about horror here in a minute, but you brought up um, a little while ago working on Gruesome when it was sort of in its infancy. Um, Gruesome, uh, I think is putting out some of the, the, the most fun death metal um, over the last few years, just specifically because I, I feel like it's, 
it's serious, but at the same time, it's not in sort of a different way than Exhumed, right? Um, uh, you're, it's a band where you flat out say, these are our influences, this is what we love, and we're going to create more of that as opposed to, you know, trying to push boundaries or anything like that, which has its place in time as well. Um, how did Gruesome come together and sort of talk a little bit about the trajectory of that, that project? Um, well, when I heard rumblings about the Death All tour before it happened, um, I met Eric Greif, who's, you know, was Death's on and off manager, and he's also relapsed with lawyer and sort of was instrumental in bringing the catalog over the label. Anyway, he, he was promoting shows in Calgary and we were on there, and I came to the, whatever we loaded in, and I met him. You know, as band guy, promoter guy, and I was like, "Are you Eric Greif from Milwaukee that used to like manage like Death and Numbskull and like Mortiskull and Biogression and all that stuff?" And he's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Didn't you like? Did you work with like Morbid Saint too?" And he's like, "Yeah." I'm like, wow. Anyway, so we just, I just kind of had this deep dive kind of conversation with him there, and we became yeah. you know friendly acquaintances. Anyway, fast forward, I hear rumblings about this Death All thing, uh, and I. We're playing a relapse showcase in LA, Eric's there. And I said, hey, you know, I don't know what you guys are doing. You know, I'm a big Death fan. If you're looking for a singer, like there's not that many singers that are kind of similar to Chuck's higher range, you know? And I, I know the lyrics to the first three albums pretty much by heart. You got my number, just putting it out there kind of thing. Anyway, the guys from Sick Drummer were putting it together. They they wanted to have Stefan from Obscura come and do the second half of the set. Stefan's visa got or didn't go through. I don't know why, whatever was the reason for that. And so I sort of was like the last minute, uh, <laughs> the last minute replacement. I had like nine days and I came out on the tour and, um, you know, I, I was playing songs I wasn't as familiar with, like, Trapped in the Corner and Zero Tolerance and The Philosopher and stuff. And it was very challenging, but it was really fun and hanging out with, you know, guys I looked up to like Sean Reinert and Steve Giorgio and et cetera, et cetera. That was a blast. And I kind of saw, um, I guess I saw, I didn't really realize the, how, how many people like didn't really get to experience that the first time. Because I saw him on Spiritual, I saw him on Healing, or I saw him on Human. I saw my feeling. And a couple other times, I saw him in Sound of Perseverance, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, and it was just amazing kind of how much this music really meant to people. And I, I had sort of taken that for granted, you know, even though Death was one of my favorite bands. Anyway, fast forward, we're exhumed as on tour. That's all has continued on without me because I was like, I'm not going to compromise exhumed to like do this because this is my thing and I don't know what's wrong this and good on you anyway we only, we ended up supporting that all for a couple of days and i met gus rios who's the gruesome drummer and we were both talking about we were like it's a wasted opportunity because like you can take you know you and i me and gus in this, in this case and james murphy and terry butler and we could go out and just fucking slam through nothing but the first three albums and like i would love to see that that would be my dream you know and Gus is like, you know what? I'm going to pitch that to Eric. And I was just like, oh, if he doesn't go for it, we'll write our own best songs and we'll just make a record and it'll be funny. And I just, 
I was not serious. I just said it like as a laugh, you know. And anyway, I was in England. Um, my wife's from England, then girlfriend. She was at work or whatever, and I was just sitting around her apartment. And she had a guitar, and I was like, "I wonder if I could write a death song. That would be funny." And so I came up with this very crude demo. I sent it to Gus, and he's like, "This is actually pretty good." And then he recorded the drums to it and had Dan Gonzalez record guitars in South Florida. And he sent it back. That, would, that, that became gangrene, and they sent it back to me. And I was like, "This is actually like kind of fucking good, dude." <laughs> you got a band here, <laughs> right? And Gus had just been. Now he, they, Malevolent said they fired him, but he quit, and it was like he was kind of. They were being dicks about it, and he was like kind of salty, and he was like, "Fuck that shit!" Like I need a new project, and he's like, "I'll put together a band." Like can you come up with more of this shit? And um, so we came up with a few songs and then we reached out to Eric Greif first and we're like, is this going to be weird? Because like, we designed this as a tribute band. Like our logo looks like the death logo, like everything. Yeah. Is it cool? And he's like, no, this is, a, this is a hoot, man. Go for it. And so we're like, all right. And uh, anyway, then we presented to Relapse and, and I was like, just so you know, like I'm putting out this demo and if you guys are interested, I'll give you first crack because we've been working together for years. And they're like, yes, here's a contract. So I was like, well, that was easy. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, here we are. <laughs> well, like, um, I don't want you to ruin any surprises. <laughs> so I'm not going to put you in a position where you'd have to choose not to. But I will... I will ask if we can expect anything from Gruesome anytime in the future. How about that? Yeah, I mean, we're planning on recording a record this year. Um, so, in fact, I was just on the phone with Gus earlier today. Um, we're looking at playing some shows in Florida, and then I'll stay out there for like a week and, and kind of commence writing. Because we've had like three songs for like our human record done in the can for like two years now. Um, and we just, I don't know why, we just haven't kind of coalesced to, to get any momentum behind it. So um, we were supposed to do that last year. And then obviously last year was kind of a clusterfuck for everybody. <laughs> um, so anyway, we're, we're um, yeah, we're, we're absolutely planning on doing another record this year that will probably get released next year. Awesome, man. Like I, I loved Fragments of Psyche. And I remember thinking like, holy shit, they're just going to skip over spiritual healing altogether and go straight to human and then twisted prayers came out and it was a fucking blast but i wasn't sure i wasn't sure what to expect after that so to hear you say straight out we're working on our human record right now like i'm i'm very excited dude that's fucking awesome yeah this is i think i think we're all i think it's been such slow going because we're all a little intimidated about it you know um sean liner was one of gus's closest friends and before he was one of gus's closest friends he was his drum teacher before he was his drum teacher, he was like his hero. And um, yeah. we had planned on having Sean, you know, basically kind of co-produce the record and sit in, in the studio and, and kind of guide us through what they were doing on Human to kind of get as much, you know, verisimilitude or however you say it as possible. And obviously Sean's passing um, was a total shock, um, you know, yeah, I was, it's, uh, Sean was my friend. I'm super 
tighter than like the way Gus was. And I was like really bummed out and Gus was pretty devastated. And so I think between that aspect and then, you know, for me knowing that like, this is going to be a lot more challenging material to execute. Um, and, and it's also going to be material that a different kind of death fan is going to be putting us under the microscope for. Um, that That's also a bit intimidating, you know? Um, so I think that's kind of why we just sort of haven't uh, jumped into it the way we've jumped into the other ones. So we need to get past that. That was one of the that was one of the things that I was curious about is whether or not you factored in the death, the inevitable death fan scrutiny that you're going to get in a project like this. Um, <laughs> but like I, you know, it's so much fun and it's so enjoyable. And like I, we were talking about this with horror earlier, like just how much exhumed or sounded like they were having so much fun. You guys sound like you're having so much fun. Um, and and gruesome also captures that vibe too right so i would think that no matter how it's received and come on i'm sure it's going to be i'm sure people are going to fucking have a blast with it um <laughs> but i i'm sure that no matter how it's being received like getting to getting to do this getting the opportunity to have this kind of outlet um must be a whole lot of fun right especially when you can sort of even though you have like this mold that you've got to fit into when you look at death's back catalog you know and obviously a, a massive and important and well-known you know legacy in this genre um but at the same time i would think it's still more sort of comforting to maybe tread in those footsteps than it is to sort of do your own thing with your own legacy which is exhumed sure. right well, there's definitely like we don't have to be like. So, what kind of direction do we think we want to go with this record? <laughs> like that. Yeah, discussion. Right. <laughs> um, you know, when we did the first album, honestly, I just thought it was going to be a record that a few people would really like and get a, a kick out of, and then a few other people would get really angry about and be like, "Fuck these guys," and then nobody else would really care. And I remember telling my wife, I'm like, we'll just do like one record. Like I we might play a festival, like whatever. And then, you know, six months later, I'm like, so we got those European tour offers in five weeks, babe. And she's like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, so it's right, it's right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really surprised me the the legs that the, that the project has had. And we are having fun with it. And, you know, I think, I guess, you know, it's gone from the inspiration of just like being a deaf fan to also sort of the inspiration of Chuck challenging himself as a, as a guitar player. Now that's sort of the realm that I need to move into and sort of accept that that he threw down 30 years ago, being like, cool, all right, great. So like, we are just the guts, it's cool and all, but like, now what? Now what, what, do you, what else do you have? And can you really put on your big boy pants and, and step up and, and pull off this more intricate material in a way that's compelling. Also, Do you see that as like a death catalog as kind of a parallel to the Exhumed catalog as your first couple of records are pretty strictly horror and then, you know, branches out into more, more philosophical shit? I, mean, I, think it's, I think it's fairly common, you know, because really, usually you spend all your demos and stuff, you're just kind of trying to make your first album and then you do your first album and people sort of notice you and you're like, cool, like now we need to like continue to get the word out. And then as the word sort of gets out to whatever extent it's gonna be, you know, to continue just 
doing the same thing again and again is it's it's not only sort of like repetitious for you as a as a musician but it's also repetitious for the audience you know and it's not not every band is acdc where you know i don't really want them to make a new record like i mean i actually really like their new record that came out last year but you know i don't want to hear them go in a new direction like that's not that's right. not what i want um so it's kind of you know it's pretty common you see it like with carcass too you know regan symphonies are super ugly and then the crowds of them is kind of sophisticated and then Heartwork is like almost like a new band you know what i mean sure and sure. you know scream and, and leprosy are you know pretty savage spiritual is kind of that pivot record and then it's almost like a different band you know for a human and individual and smaller so what you guys do so well, though, even like like Necrocracy is a fun record. Like you have that vibe. Like like Exhumed's a fun band to listen to. And like I love Death as much as anybody, but they 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 lose that fun element, right? As they as they get older, you know what I mean. And like like what we were going, what you were talking to about at the beginning with like you know Evil Dead Two, you know that that's like <laughs> that's like a fun horror movie. That's not necessarily The Shining, you know. Equally, <laughs> equally as, as important, and I just want to kind of know how do you strike that balance, or is that even something you think about? You know, I mean, you know, anybody that like meets Exhumed or really any band that I'm in, like on tour, like will tell you, like we are not evil, we're not grim, we're not anything. Like we have fun, and we go on tour to have fun. And to me, it's sort of like, as much as my projects musically are very compartmentalized, like ultimately, like I like, I'm a, I'm a happy person, man. I like to be outside in the fucking summertime, like wearing shorts with little palm trees on and flip flops. Like, I don't want to be like hunkered down in the fucking graveyard in the snow. Like that's not my idea of a good time. And to spend so much time making music that is joyless, like it doesn't appeal to me. And to me, I'm, I don't know, I, I like the, the energy is the most, the, the sort of enthusiasm, that's what resonates me, with me more. And that's what stayed with me, you know, because even at 15, 16, you know, I didn't think fucking Chapel of Ghouls was not something I could take seriously. Just like regurgitated guts or embryonic necropsy and development, I'm like, come on. Like yeah. you're not eating babies, you're not fucking summoning the devil, you're not registering guts. That's fine. That's great. This is all. This is just. This is all fun. You know. Um, it's just maybe not everybody's idea of fun. And so <laughs> to me, I can't really do a project that isn't fun. Like you can address something serious, but you know, to to suck out the fucking the joy from it is just it's just something that doesn't interest me which is probably why i'm not into black metal i'm not into a lot of like tech death or like super brutal death metal because it just feels kind of joyless yeah. you know in a way that maybe stuff that's musically dumb you know like venom or the first autumn ep it's just exuberance and that's what gets me excited is the exuberance not the fucking this yeah. shit you know speaking of <laughs> we haven't talked about 
pounder, which is the most fun, dude. I'm a, I'm a huge pounder fan. Bro. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks. Fuck, fuck off and die was, was my shit that like whole year that album came out. So thanks for that, man. Could, could you talk a little sure. bit about that and where that, where that fit into the whole, to the, all your bands? <laughs> um, you know, I think it, it's all sort of tributaries off the same river. Yeah. Um, you know, in the in the mid '90s, kind of when, especially growing up in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay area, you know, where like traditional metal sort of died, like completely. It went from being like dominance, you know, Exodus is playing on a Tuesday, and there's like 1,200 people there, to like by 1995, just non-existent. There's no violence. There's no Exodus. There's no, you know, maybe Testament was still a band. There was Metallica and Testament, and the rest was gone. And there was Machine Head and kind of being into metal was like the least cool thing you could be into. Like, you know, um, but I, me and my little circle of weirdos, like we decided to double down. We're like, let's get more into metal. Like, fuck it. Like, let's let's start listening to Manowar and Dokken and let's buy all these records that we couldn't buy when we were 11 because we only had $10 allowance a week, you know? Whether it's like Assassin or Exumer or Protector, Messiah, like, whatever, you know, anything that had any kind of vaguely metal cover, you could get on vinyl for like $4, you know? Because yeah. um, nobody was buying vinyl either. So we're just like, fuck it. We're gonna, this is going to become our thing. Like, this is just us. So, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with Exum, we thought, you know, what I did understand about the black metal trend that was happening at the time um, was that they were drawing a connection to Hellhammer and Bathory and, and these more evil 80s bands and kind of bringing back that theatricality. And I appreciated that, even though I wasn't that into the music. I liked some of it at the time, but it didn't stay with me. But so we were kind of trying to, we were trying to find our own way to draw a through line through to that stuff, even while we were acknowledging that it was sort of objectively goofy. And, um, you know, hearing Manowar for the first time in like 1994 was like a revelation. It was like, this can't be real. But this, <laughs> this song is just about saying, I love heavy metal like a hundred times. Like, what the fuck? This is a joke, right? And then they became like one of my favorite bands. Um, and so that influence has always been there. Um, it just was kind of finding a sort of a way to, to express that. And we, we, you know, when we'd be on tour, you'd stop at a gas station at 3 a.m. and you'd go in and inevitably the clerk would be like, hey man, y'all are a band? And eventually I just started making up stupid band names and Pounder became the go-to band name. And you know, <laughs> everybody died. I thought I ain't heard you, but I think I heard you. Y'all on MySpace or whatever? And so, um, <laughs> so, the, so Pounder, you know, became this thing like, oh, one of these days I'm going to make a band that sounds like fucking Accept and Dio, and it's going to be called Pounder, it's going to rule. And um, it just was something that was kind of like on a back burner for years and years and years. And, uh, you know, then like when like Enforcer started kind of making some waves and then Night Demon, who's, you know, 120 miles to the south of us here in Ventura, you know, I was like, oh, like other people are also interested in this. I didn't, you know, I didn't really 
you know, I thought it was just like me and Ryan Waste that wanted to be like, dude, if you're checking that Aragorn seven inch, fuck that ass. Like, <laughs> dude, like I got this burn of the virtue seven inch, I can't find it. Like, whatever. Um, and so I started writing riffs, and eventually I found Tom, um, our guitar player. And, you know, he was not really, a, he's now a carcass, although at the time he was not really a dead metal guy. And, um, I met him and he was just this British guy that had been an angel, which that now lives in California. And our bass player, Alejandro, I mean, he's been like our sound guy for Zoom for years. He produced the last record, he produced the new record we're working on now. Anyway, he and I were kind of just having a few songs and we got Tom interested and we're like, okay, well, we need to get this going now because we've got a guy that used to be an angel, which he fucking plays like John Sykes. Like, okay, this is we got to do this. And that just kind of became the impetus to be like, well, I can't find a singer. So I guess I'm going to just have to like wing it. And here we are. You know? That makes me like the music so much better knowing all of that. All of these, all of these come from such fun places, man. Like it's so pure. How could you not, how could you not love it? You know? Yeah. And on that, like on that note, um, What's up with the new Exhumed record? Like, what, uh, what's, what's going on, man? We are maybe two thirds of the way through with it. Um, when we did the horror, um, we basically used the entire advance to build the studio that I'm sitting in right now. Um, I'm in the control room. And so, with that in place, we were able to kind of just take our time a little bit more. Um, so we did all the drums and the rhythm guitars, which is kind of the most time-consuming stuff. And now um, Ross is in Oakland and then guitar player Sebastian is in Baltimore. Um, Sebastian also has a home studio that he just finished building in his basement. Um, so he's gonna do his leads out there and Ross will do his bass and vocals up in the Bay Area. And just kind of um, slowly getting into that part of the process. Um, especially because Relapse has told us so like our release schedule is fucking jammed because you know bands wanted us to hold albums until they get tour again. So if you don't give us the album for a couple months, like we're not gonna be stressing. I was like, well, cool, then we're not gonna stress either. Um, but yeah, I mean it's uh kind of uh I'm really excited about it. I, I think the songs are sounding really good and I, it definitely sounds like exhumed, but it definitely a departure from the last album you know um trying to find space within our little bubble to like differentiate the records as much as we can you know because we're not acdc and <laughs> we can't just get away with making the same record every time hopefully i mean we get to see some of this shit on the road maybe early next year maybe late this year who knows uh when things are safe and you can do it responsibly right um it would be a blast i think to see you guys play through some of this shit we, we have some some dates being booked um for the fall right now um that seemed very probable that they will happen um you know and obviously we don't want it to put anybody at risk we don't want to put ourselves and our friends and family at risk when we get home um you know we've all had at least the first dose of the vaccine and we all kind of early on we're like yo we're not planning until everybody's vaccinated like we're all in agreement here, right? <laughs> and so that, that was uh, that was something we put out there very early, um, you know. But I, I think even 
I think some stuff is going to be possible by by summer, really. You know, um, and I we were talking about it today. Uh, Gus and I were talking about it. Um, he actually was hospitalized with COVID. He was he had severe pneumonia. Okay. Um, he is now fully vaccinated. I think the rest of us are on the first shot. And you know, we're getting offers to play in Florida in the summer. And I was like, well, I kind of have mixed feelings about it, but. It, it, at the same time, we're reaching a point where everyone has the opportunity to get it. And at, at a certain point, you know, my livelihood or a big portion of it is derived from touring. It's like, I can't necessarily put my life on hold because people aren't willing to get the vaccine. I certainly can put it on hold because there is no vaccine and I'm not willing to just wantonly endanger myself or others. But at the same time, what's the tipping point where it's like, Everybody can get the fucking vaccine. If you haven't got it by July, you know, you're that's kind of and, and you want to go to a show and you want to go to a gathering. I'm like, at that point, it's kind of on you. It's sort of a it's a gray area, you know. Um so we can't just remain indoors indefinitely until everything is hundred percent safe because they'll never be hundred percent safe. So it's it's a weird situation that we're all kind of fumbling through because it's unprecedented you know well, it, yeah it's a it's a tough situation to be in and those are definitely tough choices to have to make when at the end of the day like you said livelihood does come into the picture at some point um and if you get back to where you can you know do your job <laughs> or at least at least a part of your job right um that's something that i'm sure that everybody who's in your situation is jumping at the chance to do so sure i mean and, you know it's not just about the money. It's also just about well, of course. fun. I mean, this is like what, you know, I've been doing for years and what I was wanted to do. And, you know, obviously I, I enjoy it or I wouldn't go out in the van, you know, fucking lifting Marshall cabinets up the stairs, you know, for months at a time. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's a weird situation. And I, I, I have mixed feelings, but like I said, at, at a certain point, it's like, the vaccine is available, is available for everybody. It seems to be working as far as we know. And I don't, I can't, you know, I, if someone decides that they don't want it, I, I'm not going to convince them, you know, and I, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where to go. You know, the CDC can't convince you. A, a guy in the metal band shouldn't be able to convince you either. You know? <laughs> He's surprised. Your voice is the one that can make all the difference, Matt Harvey, you've exhumed. Uh, man, it, it, I, we certainly hope that you guys get back on the road uh, soon, and I hope that the recording of the rest of the record goes great. We really, really appreciate getting the chance to talk with you today, man. I've been a big fan of your work for a very long time, so this has been a big deal for me. Um, we got an even bigger deal, though. Got uh, Before we let you go, we have a very serious question that we ask everybody who comes on this show. And if you need a second to think about it, don't be afraid to take it, all right? Because this is some serious shit. Zach, hit Matt Harvey of Exhumed with the, with the hammer. All right, sir. Uh, very interested to know, what is your favorite Black Sabbath record? Heaven and Hell. Nice. Didn't even hesitate. Oh, yeah. Heaven and hell. Confident man. All right. You, say, you hear that in Pounder, you know, I'm, I'm happy. About that. <laughs> I mean, I think for me, it goes, I think, heaven and hell, mob rules, 
Headless Cross, and then I liked the rest of them. Um, but to me, like Kevin Hells, when they became like a heavy metal band, like a real heavy metal band, sure. um, you know, like I, I like all the Aussie words, you know, I mean, never say that. Okay. Um, Ten licenses, yeah, some jam on it. But to me, I think the Aussie era Sabbath records might be the most overrated albums in metal they're great albums they're important albums but i growing up it was to ram down my throat that these were the most important records ever made and they're the root of everything and if you don't fucking like this like man, only ozzy era is real and that's why i grew up hearing from like the you know older rock kids in my school or just you know people that i would meet and i remember i didn't hear heaven and hell until i was probably out of high school Okay. I heard that and I was like, what the fuck? You bitches. <laughs> like, this is killer. Like, dude. And there's, no, and there's no like flowery psychedelic dad rock breakdowns. Like, this is just like rad nuts. Yeah. And I was my, like, my, go ahead. My, da- my dad got me into Sabbath when I was a kid and like Ozzy was the only valid Sabbath in our house. And then like right. I was off I was off in fucking college before I heard the other shit. And I was like, why would you deny me this? Like what? Yeah. What's wrong with you? But it's fucking rad. And like we also are super stoked to hear that you're a, a Tony Martin era fan. We're we are fucking working real hard to get the cat on this podcast. He's a wow. hard dude to track down. You'd be surprised how <laughs> many layers of motherfuckers you gotta go through to get to Tony Martin. But uh those are fucking, those are absolutely heavy metal albums in spirit and in practice for really? sure. I Super mean, sick to hear that you're into Heaven and Hell, man. Yeah, Headless Cross, dude. I mean, to me, like, uh, Headless Cross, I was like, this is the album where they say the devil and or Satan like 10 times more than all the other albums combined. Like, this is great. <laughs> and Tony Martin's just like a, he's like a mix of, the guy from Sabotage and like a more tuneful singer like Dio. And he's yeah. just such a pure metal voice, you know? Yes, for sure. Not metal, metal, like with a hard T. With the hard T. <laughs> yeah. That's and, fucking uh, awesome. Man. Yeah, his range is, is incredible. And just the whole, you know, the other records are good. Tear and, and Eternal Island are both quite good. I just haven't spent as much time with them but i remember seeing the headless cross with me on mtv as a kid and i was like you know by that point i was like nuclear salt fucking celtic frost whatever and i didn't really pay much attention to it you know and i'm like really sad that i missed it because it was right it was right there you know and it's like damn i blew it but you got it now man that's what counts <laughs> right i enjoy them all and i mean i love born again as well like, yeah they're, fuck they're, yeah that's on there. Uh, I, I like uh, Seven Star too. It's not really Black Sabbath, but you know, Stone is a fucking killer song. I I can get oh. I can get behind a couple of Seven Star songs. Seven I, Star songs. Like I played a I, I did a Give Me Radio guest DJ said when the last comedy record came out and I, I played Timber Stone on that set. Nice. So awesome. <laughs> thank you for all you do, Matt Harvey. Yeah. Dude, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your music. Um, we really appreciate the chance to get to talk to you today, and we wish you the very best, man. Hope to see you out there soon. Cheers, guys. I appreciate uh, I appreciate you guys having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, thank man. you very much, man.
All right. Cheers. We'll Have a good you. day. Thanks, guys. Matt Harvey from Exhumed, as it turns out, what a good dude. He's a good, he's a good Tony Martin era loving dude. Who knew? Knows his process, knows the fucking music, knows where his boundaries are. Uh, just fucking always makes me happy to talk to somebody who I've supported for a really long time. Turns out to be just like a super cool cat. Yeah. Good conversation, man. That was a great time. Thank you for, thank you for everything. You know, As man. always, thank you, brother. We're going to talk yeah. again real soon. Absolutely, brother. Have a good night. Same to you, my dude. Peace out. Headless cross. Hello.